This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, ever wonder what it would be like to run a marathon? Or one on the North Pole? Did not know that was a thing. It's a thing. Patrick Charlebois joins us to share his experience of being the first Canadian to ever win it and run it, by the way. Plus his reasoning and support ideas why we should maybe run a little bit. What inspired him and why did he get into a marathon on the North Pole? Ketchup chips. Janice Thiessen joins the shift to chat about the iconic flavor and Canadian snacks. What are the good ones? Are you okay with corn and going to the doctor? Two unrelated stories, both on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. A few months ago, I was out for a beer with a friend, and I'll reveal who that friend was in a second, and he told me about his brother. Now, this friend, he likes to run. He runs all the time. He gets up early in the morning and runs. And I I don't understand you running people. I really don't. But he gets up and he runs. He tells me that his brother runs too. He's running all kinds of marathons and he likes to do this. And I said, well, I'd like to meet your brother one day. So then we were chatting this summer and he said, my brother's going to run a marathon that I think you'll be interested in. And then a shift head, one of our family members here on the shift, went to our Facebook group and posted a picture from an article of a man by the name of Patrick Charlebois. I said, hey, this looks an awful like Sylvain Charlebois. Are they related? Now let me rewind. Sylvain was telling me when we were out for a beer about his twin brother, Patrick, and how he's a runner and running everywhere. So as promised... I wanted to bring Patrick on the show. This is going to be really weird for you listening to The Shift because these two brothers sound alike. They they actually have the same mannerisms. I can tell you that much just from our video call here. And it's really cool. Uh, Patrick, thanks for being here. And uh, it's really nice to meet you after I spent so much time with your brother. Thanks for having me. Really, it's an honor. Uh, We're not here to talk about food. Uh, You don't work in the agri-food lab. But you are a runner. And the cool thing that you did was the North Pole Marathon. My understanding is you go all the way to the North Pole. You're actually literally at the North Pole. And a bunch of people go run a race together, which raises an awful lot of questions. Are you running on snow? Are you running on ice? How do you get there? Um, It seems like a very interesting way to run a race, but at the same time, it kind of feels like it's a lot of work because it is still the North Pole. Well, you're like a lot of people. People from, they think North Pole is somewhere where yeah, Santa Claus that's the lives. Truth. Uh, that's it. But it, no, exactly. Or oh, Superman's house is there. Uh, so, but the North Pole is the, it's an ocean. It's, there's no land. It's not like Antarctica. Uh, it's not a continent, so it's the ocean. Uh, so if you want to get to the North Pole, you have to get uh, either by a plane or mm. with an icebreaker by a boat. That's the two choices. So how did you guys get there? Did you fly? No, unfortunately, because uh, normally we fly there. Uh, all the other editions were uh, done by plane. It's a lot quicker and easier and, I can tell you, less expensive than going by boat. But unfortunately, because of the war in Russia, uh, in Ukraine, we had to go by boat. 
So it took a week, an entire mm -hmm. week to get there, run the marathon, and another week to come back. Where did you take the boat from? Because you were over in Europe. Is that where you went from over in sort of northern Europe and then went north from there? Well, it's, uh, we, they picked us up at uh, Paris, in Paris, and brought us to Svalbard, where is the, uh, basically the entry to the North Pole. It's a uh, Norwegian island north of Norve uh, Norway. Uh, so we took a boat there from there. It's a French boat named the Kamada Charcot. Uh, it's not what you think. It's not a Viking boat with uh, rowing nice. and heart. It's 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 a nice five star boat. Uh, it's a young. It's a recent boat. It's uh, I mean I ate steak all all week. Uh, T bones and uh, fondue and oh, sushis wow. and I mean we were treated. Right. As a matter of fact, the challenge was not to eat too much before the marathon. I bet. That's what the what that was the real challenge. So, you have a bunch of people that are going to go run a marathon on the North Pole. You're on a very nice boat, almost on vacation, I suppose. You don't want to eat too much, but you have to run. I'm assuming there's a fitness center so you can run on a treadmill or was there a bunch of people running in circles around the deck of the boat? Because if you're on the boat for a week, how do you train for a full marathon? That's uh, that's the trick. Uh People that runs marathon know the week just before it's the week, the tapper week. So you don't run that much, but you keep training, you keep fit, uh, you try not to eat too much. Uh, but yeah, we they, there was a pretty good uh, fitness center on the boat, and there was a track around the boat also. But it <laughs> it's a 330 meter track, so it's not a big track. Wow. So. But there was uh, four bars, uh, two uh, dining rooms, wow. and uh, a lot of uh, stuff that, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible way to spend a week is what I'm, I'm getting. I mean, you might turn me into a runner if that's the kind of time you, <laughs> time you spend before but you go. We were 12 runners in total, but on the boat, we were 200 passengers. So 180 passengers were there just to have a vacation and enjoy themselves. And when we got to the North Pole, they became our, uh, our fans uh, yeah. that uh, supported us in our challenge when we ran the, the marathon. That was fun. That was cool. That's a, that was a cool part. You don't have that when you go by plane. Yeah. Well, I guess because there's nobody else there. You just go and you run and then you leave and you come home. Um, yeah, polar bears, but they don't cheer you, unfortunately. No, yes. Yeah chase you and try to eat you um this is fascinating you might recognize this voice in the background it's not who you think it is sylvain charlevoix's brother patrick ran the north pole marathon and did you win it did i understand that correctly you had the fastest side yeah i i won the uh, the marathon be yeah i'm very happy it, it was a great race as a canadian i have an advantage of knowing what's like to run on snow yeah i guess, I guess that's uh, I had an advantage towards the Americans and the Chinese people and Russian. Well, Russian know how to run on the the snow, but the the one that I ran against, uh, they weren't uh, they weren't that good. So uh, huh. yeah, I'm pretty fortunate to to win the marathon, and yeah, I'm happy I'm happy of 
uh, towards the outcome of the race. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. I, I had messaged your brother and I, he said, Hey, Patrick's running the North pole marathon this weekend. And I said, Oh, great. Can we try to get him on? And I didn't even think like for me in my mind, I'm thinking, I'll just talk to you on your cell phone because that's cell phone service everywhere. And then, and then he texted me back and he said, apparently it happened yesterday and he won. (laughs) And so he is, <laughs> his time, your brother's timelines are all off. He was so busy. And then, uh, and then you ended up in Paris and then you're back in Canada now. So help me understand, Patrick, um, why do you run? I'm assuming, you know, based on your brother runs, uh, you run a lot. And um, what is it for you? I mean, it's one thing to want to run. It's another thing to want to go run on the North Pole. You have to be a fan if you want to run like that. So what is it for you? What do you get out of it? Well, running is is basically my passion. I've been running since I've been I was young. I was I ran with my brother, of course, when I we were in high school uh, back in the days. Uh, yeah, running is a real passion for me. When we I lived in Farnham, and my brother knows that we have little sports organized sports available. Uh, the only thing that we ca- could do in at the time was to run, and then when I was a kid. There was a famous runner uh, that inspired me a lot, a guy named Terry Fox. Mm. Uh, when I saw him run on one leg to try to run across Canada, the country, that inspired me a lot. So I said to myself, if that guy can run a marathon every day on one leg, I can run a marathon on two legs any day. So... Mm. Uh, since then, I've been like I like to run. I like the challenge of running. And in the day, if you remember, in 1980, they, you didn't have GPS watch. Yeah. Uh, my father measured the uh, our course uh, for me and my brother Sylvain, uh, telling us that at that telephone post, well, you have ran five kilometers, so back and forth is ten. But it's basically it. We had our normal watch. Um, so that's how we measured our running. And even when I met, um, Terry Fox brother, Daryl Fox, mm-hmm. he told me that Terry Fox did the same thing in his hometown in Vancouver. Well, you so know, he ran from a telephone post to another telephone post back and forth. And every day he did that. That's beautiful. I'm going to, uh, we've had Fred Fox on the show, um, a few times and, uh, I'm going to make sure Fred hears this. He's going to love the fact that. Um, that Terry's inspiration even brings us to this conversation today. So I'll make sure. That... I, I ran. I ran a marathon with uh, Daryl. Uh, oh, did you? In, uh, yeah, five years ago wow. in Stanley Park. Oh, really? Hey. Well, I I ran the ten last K with him, and I spent time at the Terry Fox Foundation also uh, with uh, my team. And uh, yeah, it was a very awesome moment for me to meet uh, Daryl and uh, he, he, we went to his home house when he was young uh, Terry's uh, elementary school when he was young in high school and of course we went to the cemetery uh, to pay our respect to the, the Terry and Terry's mother and father mm-hmm. so yeah it was quite an experience and I mean for me it was uh, uh, a life-changing moment 
Well, it's beautiful. Um, Patrick Charlebois is our guest right now, brother of Sylvain. You're going to recognize his voice here. Patrick works in finance, by the way. He doesn't work in food and research and stuff like that, but um, uh, runs marathons. So how many marathons a year? Okay, so you're a fan of running. I'm curious about running. How many How many marathons a year is, is really healthy for you or good for you? Because I'm assuming you shouldn't do one every weekend. Well, it depends on the year. Uh, you see, in, thousand, in 2018, when I ran, uh, with uh, Daryl, uh, uh, Daryl Fox in uh, Vancouver. Before the day I ran in Vancouver, I ran nine marathons in nine provinces in nine days. <laughs> so I started, yeah, I started in St. John and then Halifax and then uh, Moncton, Charlottetown, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, uh, Regina, Calgary. I ran the official Calgary Marathon in 2018, mm-hmm. and finally I ran the 10th marathon in 10 days in Vancouver with Daryl. Okay. So, so that's 10 marathons in 10 days. So to answer your question, it, it varies a lot. It can be a lot in a small amount of time, or it can be uh, like this year I, I, I have only ran one marathon mm-hmm. so far. And it went well. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, I hundred uh, percent. I want it. That's so good. I, <laughs> I that's a good amazing. average. Uh, yeah, yeah, good average so far. So you might want to just tap out for the rest of the year, and you can say you're hundred percent for the year. I um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I take the escalator uh, upstairs. I don't even use the stairs, so I'm feeling pretty lazy right now, based on your storytelling. <laughs> so what do you tell? What do you tell people? Okay, so this has been a part of your life for a long time. I mean, you have a brother. Uh, you you both with all due respect, are rather competitive uh, in your careers. And, you know, it's kind of built into your nature to be go-getters and get stuff done. But for some people who are curious or whoever thought about it, what do you say to those people, Patrick, about, you know, anybody can do it. I've seen people, the most amazing thing about marathons is half marathons or marathons is the people who come across the finish line are all different shapes and sizes, different kinds of people. Um, just because you see some heavy set people that are very fast running marathons, um, they run them and then you see these skinny mini people that are, that are sometimes very slow. So it, it, it's not a body type scenario. I have learned that. So anybody can do it. If you do the work, what, how do you invite people to come and maybe give it a shot or consider running as that hobby? Like you love it. Well, I think you raise a very good point. Uh, running is a very democratic sport. Uh, it doesn't cost a lot. Uh, you just pick your shoes, put a shirt on, shorts, and you go, you run. Uh, it, it, it's a low-budget sport. Uh, you can do that when you travel. You can do that anywhere. Uh, and it's the only sport where you can really run in the same field as the professionals. Uh, think about it. When you run uh, international marathons like New York or Berlin or Boston, you run with the uh, the best athletes in the world in 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 marathons, running marathons. I I ran with the Kip Kipchoge, and you you remember the the uh, African that uh, has a world record. I, I ran behind him. Now, I didn't beat him, but I mean, he's, uh, he's the best in the world and I ran the same marathon as him. So there's no sports where you can brag about running or playing the same sports on the same uh, field as the professional. Uh, in hockey, you can't go- 
play with Matthews uh, on the ice in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, it's impossible to do that. But you can do that in marathon. So it's a very democratic sports. Any ca- anybody can do it. Of course, it's accessible. You just have to have a plan, put it in place, and train. That's it. Uh, and if you run a half marathon, it's okay. It's not half a race. It's 21 kilometers or 10K or 5K. You don't have to run a marathon. Just uh, lift, lift, uh, go, put out, put you, uh, put on your feet mm-hmm. and just run. Just go. That's it. Yeah, I, I get that. I feel like that's is getting started is probably the hardest part. Um, discipline. It is. I'm, I'm it learning. Is. This is where I'm growing up as a man now at my age is the word discipline. I've always been a hard worker. I've had lots of success in business ownership. I've had lots of success on the radio. I've been very lucky with the opportunity that has been given to me. Discipline though, I don't think I'm very good at. I think I'm very good at having ideas and working hard. Working hard and discipline are two very distinct, distinctly different ideas. And I'm just learning discipline today. Um, Is discipline a big part of this because you have to get up and get going like you just described to get your shoes on and go is discipline a big part i guess if you qualify or you describe discipline on following a plan mm-hmm. the answer is yes yeah integrity uh, in I action tr- is sort of how i describe it right like your your personal integrity in action mm. right yeah well, you're, you're, you're right. You don't lie to yourself. Uh, you, you write a training plan and you just follow it. And, you know, I tell a lot when I do conferences, there's a book in our, on our shelves in our house, the biggest book you have. You know what it is? The excuse book. Yeah, right. You mean today you have to run, I don't know, 10K. There, it's raining. It's snowing. Uh, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I'm busy. I don't have the time. You, you know, all the excuses you have to not follow your plan. So I, the trick is simple. Take that book and throw it away. Put it in the garbage. If you do that, you succeed. That's great advice. It's very nice to meet you. Congratulations on winning. Um, uh, next time you run the North Pole Marathon, I might just come with you just to be a cheerleader. I think that'd be great. <laughs> I think we should talk Sylvan into doing it because that would be fun to watch. Um, and uh, and I think this is it's it's a real pleasure to meet you. It's neat it's neat to meet you because I've had so many conversations about you um, from your brother, and then to be able to celebrate your success is uh, is pretty great. So it's really nice. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Really, it's an honor. Like I said the, at the beginning. This is The Shift Podcast. There's a story of a young man who loved ketchup chips so much that him and his dad drove, I think it was from Virginia, to Niagara, across the border, go to No Frills, and buy ketchup chips. They bought a bunch. And then they joined home. And then all of the ketchup chip companies found out about this, including the ketchup companies, and they sent them so much stuff they don't know what to do with it now. Now, that's cool. Uh, I love ketchup chips. It's one of those things that's to me is very Canadian. Uh, 
But Canadian snacks are often unique and we don't get the same snacks that they get down in the States. Now that could just be a economics and marketing return on investment for product that can just be geographical for taste. Um, but it's unique. And so while we were learning about ketchup chips, because we talk about them enough here on the show, Ryan O'Donnell loves ketchup, although he does not put ketchup on his craft dinner. I find that weird. My sister hates tomatoes, loves ketchup. Figure that out. And yet there's some history to be found here. And this is where we bring in Janice Thiessen. She's a professor of history, the University of Winnipeg. And yet you, um, the history or the snacks, Janice, because I feel like there's a bit of a cart horse chicken egg here thing. Like you're either studying uh, for your education in history, eating snacks, going, I sure love snacks. And then you just associated or you really loved history and you loved it so much you got hungry and you started snacking, which comes first. Uh, I've always loved both, nice. but specifically the, the the book that gets me conversations like this called Snacks of Canadian Food History. It's dedicated to my brother, Tim, because he's the one who came up with the idea. I was uh, uh, teaching high school, but I uh, had a PhD, uh, saw a job advertised at U of W in business history, thought, oh, that looks kind of interesting, but what would I tell them is my next project? And Tim said, well, you like chips. Old Dutch Potato Chips is a huge company here in Winnipeg. Why don't you tell them you're going to do a business history of that? Hmm. And it kind of blossomed. That's amazing. Well, also a part of that book, of course, is Hawkins Cheesies, which is a remarkable story. And we talk about them all the time here on the show. They don't market. They don't have to market because we frankly do it for them for year over year over year for how much we talk about Hawkins Cheesies. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of unique little stories here, isn't there? For sure. No, I love Hawkins. Uh, I didn't actually care for their product. I know sacrilege as a Canadian, but until I'd seen the company and just loved their attitude towards um, not trying to do too much. Uh, mm. They don't work evenings and weekends. Nope. They don't advertise because they don't want to start working evenings and weekends. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just this great company. When I was doing the research, there was a, a time or two when I'd phone on a Friday afternoon and uh, They'd pick up and they'd say, Janice, you've been here. You know better. We're all heading out to the lake. Yeah. <laughs> so. but, and, and resilience, too, because of that family nature uh, that goes on is, you know, they, they've been through fires. They've been through moves. They've been through all kinds of things. And here they are still sort of plugging away without this attempt to make it more than it is and just be really great at one thing. And, For sure. One yeah. flavor comes in different size bags. That is it. That's yeah. it. Um, and it's a great flavor, though, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. Is. Let's just take a moment and think about Hawkins cheesies. Ground up cheese. Right? So good. I mean, what's better? The 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 corn lumpy sticks or the crumbs on the bottom? I can't tell you. <laughs> go could go either way. Anyway, um ketchup chips is really why we started this. So we might as well at least acknowledge the ketchup part. What is strange about ketchup? Why is it ours and ours only? Is it because we're weird and no one else likes it? Clearly some kid down in the States does. For sure. Yeah. I mean, um, there's all sorts of, but there's no one for sure reason, but uh, a reason that has been proposed to me by the chip companies I interviewed that seemed plausible was that Canada um, has a lot of folks from settler traditions that are pro-vinegar and uh, the Midwestern U.S., where many potato chip companies are located, have a lot of uh, settlers who whose background is, um, you know, more sour cream based. So, 
ketchup chips fly here in a way that they are not nearly as popular in the States. So flavors are geographic history, all the things together. For sure. I mean, chips were around for decades before someone had the genius idea of making them taste like something other than potato. Mm. But uh, yeah, those vinegar based flavors evolved north of the border and those sour cream based ones were um, far more popular south. Now, I did make a mistake. I'm on a recent road trip. I went and I um, I, I got those uh, Lay's Asian flavored ones, the cucumber, which I got, and I got the chicken and tomato one. And just in case anybody's wondering, the cucumber tastes more like potato than it does cucumber. It's kind of tastes like wet potato. And then the tomato and kitchen one is um, tomato and kitchen, tomato and chicken one. <laughs> Come on, brain. Don't fail me now. Tastes like tomato soup, which was kind of interesting, but not great on a chip, in my opinion. They tried to make more flavors poutine all that stuff are, are we winning in this battle do you think uh you know there's a there's a lot of history there too and some of it is quite tasteless so hawkins used to uh, hawkins cheesies used to have a potato chip line and they claimed that they were the first to flavor them but they also experimented with flavors like grape um, oh oh that's not yeah. okay Exactly. Right. So there's a lot of flavors out there that are culturally specific. There's a lot of flavors out there that are individually specific. And then there's just a lot of flavors that should never, ever have happened. So Janice, you've been an expert. I would say that research and development would have to be a big part of, of writing your book and, and your work inside history and everything else. Um, what does, uh, what's Janice, Janice's go-to? I think that this is a, this is a big, bold statement. This is it, right? For sure. Uh, at the time that I was writing, huge fan of dill pickle. But since then, I've gone back to my childhood flavor. Favor, oh, I can't even say it. Flavor See, favor. You're so excited. <laughs> salt and vinegar. I know, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, salt and vinegar is awesome. And specifically Old Dutch. That's the company I grew up with. Right. And local, which is nice to support local. Yeah. Um, in Calgary, there's the Calgary Co-op and they have uh, Cal and Gary's. Fun little play on the name. It's their their local brand, um, and they have a dill. It's I think it's like a spicy dill or whatever. But they do the the brown chips, and I believe it was a shift head named Trucker Dan who um, who turned me on to them a couple of years ago. And he he said, you know, if you like those the the one overcooked one that used to sort of get an old Dutch or whatever, like those are always so good. What a treat! But then they're filled with a lot of those and very, very flavorful. Like they're over the top for flavor, which we're seeing a diminishment of the amount of flavor. If you really want strong, you've got to go with ketchup. You've got to go with an all dressed. You've got to go with some of these stronger flavors, salt and vinegar, because some of them are, are, are getting a little wimpy, in my opinion, Janice. This is true. And part of it is, you know, of course, the need to play to a large market. So this is one of the reasons why you don't find as many brown chips in some of the bigger brands, including Old Dutch, right? Yeah, they're not got, pretty. They're not pretty. Customers forget that potatoes are living objects that came out of the ground and aren't mass produced to some standardized model, but they nonetheless expect the chips to all kind of look the same. So mm -hmm. these bigger companies have got optical scanners um, on the production lines that detect any sort of color variation in individual chips. And then a little blast of air will shoot that chip out of the line and into the air and it'll be basically hived off and then becomes uh, you know, pig food or something like that, or cattle oh, feed. Lucky pig, I would say. Right? <laughs> right. Um, but that, I mean, this goes back to the humanity of it all where you know Pringles are so perfect, uh, which is mashed potatoes shaped and fried for you. 
Um, and then at the same time, you know, we can't go, we get a discount when we buy red peppers at the grocery store because they're misshapen and we pay more for pretty ones. I mean, maybe it's an off topic, but I mean, to me, that's really concerning that that's where our standard is. For sure. We forget that these are, as I said, living objects, you know, anyone who's ever tried to garden in their own backyard, uh, you know, that it's not something that you can control. I've got a, a very nicely producing tomato plant this year of which I've had two tomatoes because all the rest have blossom and rot despite what I'm doing, right? Really? I've had I have, I have three plants and three planters and they're just all being little this year. And then I've got a garden that's 10 feet away and they're big, beefy ones. So nice. such as I'm life, happy right? that I'm only producing for me and the squirrel because we are far less judgmental about production. <laughs> Isn't it? It's so good. All right. So snacks here. Janice Thiessen is, um, is a historian and a professor. Um, the, 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 the flavors though, I mean, ketchup to me doesn't seem like a Canadian flavor. That's at least not, I, I get barbecue being an American flavor if you're going to play stereotypes, but I don't get why ketchup isn't. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good question. I, I think uh, for a number of folks they, uh, who don't like chips that are ketchup, and that includes me, I have to say, mm. uh, it's got a sweet taste to it that is uh, somewhat contradictory to a salty snack. Although, you know, in the last few decades, the combination of sweet and salt seems to be on everything, right? They're throwing mm. salt on top of chocolate chip or chocolate bars now. So yeah. who knows? Well, Maybe it has its time yet. Ketchup and mustard is such a great, combination so many people would say would put on their hot dog and then you've got these spicy ketchup now which tastes like ketchup and mustard and you know um they, so they are experimenting with that those opposite flavors like that there's probably some magic in taste bud science that that i don't you know we don't know um but you know it is an interesting place to go and then there's some the wild flavors that they have fun with which is i think it's cool to have fun with potato chips i mean i don't eat them but I mean, there's a go-to, but now we've got frying things different ways. And I always go back to think of Hawkins cheesies. You know, it's the same thing consistently. You're not getting your kettle cooked chips in order to get market access. You know, your regular chips or, or the, the bruised chips that we just chatted about. Um, there's, some con there's some consistency that's magic here. And then there's some wild. It, it sort of seems very polar opposite. For sure. I mean, um, Hawkins is a good example of that because the while they only produce the one thing, uh, the product itself is incredibly varied in terms of size and shape, right? And they like to market that as it's uh, you know, sort of uh, it's quirky nature or it's more more authentic, it's less mass produced. But the the fact of the matter is that they've just chosen not to control for that variable. They use the original machine that was produced by the founder, the the inventor of cheesies back in the you know early 20th century and mm -hmm. it is not digitally controlled it can't control the size of a uh, little cheesy that gets produced by the machine and so they come out every shape and size and they just go they just run with it right mm. i think when you look at cheetos like how boring is that they're all the same for sure right for sure all right, Canadian snack foods here, Janice. Some other notable companies that come to mind because we've been chatting about chips for the most part. There are chocolate companies. You know, there's the whole Smarty conversation. Um, there's bits and pieces here that that we haven't chatted about. What comes to mind for you as important that's notably Canadian? Notably Canadian for snacks. Um, oh wow. Uh, well, every every region seems to have their own specialties. Uh, there's a, a chocolate. Uh, 
company here in Winnipeg that's third generation family owned, which is in a business very unusual to make it for that many generations. And they are known for a number of things, but most particularly for something they call Russian mints. And it's just, it's a chocolate, it's chocolate all the way through, but it has mint flavoring. And, you know, you put one, they're pretty lumpy, but you put one on your tongue and you just let it dissolve. And it is the thing you have to have at Christmas if you're a Winnipegger. Hmm. Interesting. My grandma used to, uh, it was a British one, um, but hers was the humbug candy, right? And um, that's a very British thing. But I mean, that that's an example of how these things get ingrained into family tradition. For sure. In the East Coast, there's a couple of companies that make what they call barley sugar toys, which are just hard candies that are in unusual shapes, like toys. You know, you can make them look like bicycles or, you know, dogs, whatever your mold happens to be. And they're uh, apparently incredibly uh, painful to eat because they have all these pointy ends, right? Mm. <laughs> and, and they're also kind of lumpy and hard to hold. So they're they're not convenient, but they are part of the tradition of Christmas out at that end of the, of the country. Oh, that's cool. I love it. This is such a great conversation, Janice. I think this is uh, so interesting. Um, guilty pleasure time. What is the go-to? I mean, I like for snacks. I mean, I do like a, a buttered popcorn. It's probably my emotional guilty pleasure. I do like those those dill calingaries. Those are pretty great. This the flavors off the charts. I will go for a. It's not Canadian, but a Ruffles with a French onion dip. Um, all snacks, guilty pleasures, because I know the shift head community is going to want to contribute to what theirs is. Um, what's yours? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I'm gonna disagree with the phrase because i don't think we should feel guilt all right the exception of candy which i can't see as having any sort of that's a good point i think you're right yeah. i agree you've changed my mind right potato chips there's nothing wrong with potatoes i mean right. maybe if that's your sole diet you've got some issues but, <laughs> <laughs> but no uh so pleasures in the snack world that i really enjoy oh Man, uh, there is a uh, that Philadelphia cream cheese dip with the the dill flavoring in there and the cut up dill pickles. Mm -hmm. and oh bag, yes, yeah, a bag of lightly salted Old Dutch ripple chips. Yeah. Uh, and let's give credit Old Dutch credit for the fact that their ripple chips are still thick enough for a thick dip like that, as opposed to some of the thin chips of today. You can't dip them. For sure. It makes it awkward. Like I'm supposed to sit on my couch with a bag of chips and the, the bowl of dip and a spoon. I mean, I, I would and I have. <laughs> and I have. <laughs> yeah, but still <laughs> not a pretty picture. Uh, that's like the, um, the, the f French onion, um, the, the uh, ruffles one, the dip, the jar mouth is just too small for my hand to get to the bottom. Right. Come on now. Come on, you guys. User interface. Got to do some research on the user interface here. Um, this is cool. Uh, Janice, we're going to post the link to your book because there it's posted on Amazon um, at shiftheads.ca so we can sort of see the um, the notions of these snacks. And uh, I'm assuming if I, if I say guilty pleasures, and um, that's a beautiful correction that you've offered me. If I say junk food, it's probably another correction um, <laughs> if I do that. So we're going uh, to put the snacks link up there so you can check out the book and see for yourself everything that's going on. And I would say that, you know, keep up the good work. This is Thank important. You. I think this is really important. This is real life stuff. I mean, the historians, I mean, you could have you done the history of lamps. Way less fun. 
You know, exactly. It's it's fun and it's pleasurable. We all have a connection to it, whether we consider it guilty or not. But also just given the way the conversations of food have changed over the last few years, it was important to me to think about what about the folks working in those businesses, like the the person on that line whose job it is to care about packaging. How are they supposed to feel about the work they do day in and day out when the conversation is often so negative about these products, despite the fact that they bring so much joy and pleasure to people's lives. So mm -hmm. thanks I'll be for very the upset. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I'll oh, be very upset when um, if I see a documentary on, um, you know, Hawkins cheesies on Netflix before I get a chance to do it, I'll be very mad because we love them. I don't think anybody, I think you and I should do it. And That'd nobody else awesome. should be allowed. So it sounds like a plan. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Janice. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? Ah, very cool. Um, yeah. Are you okay with is a simple notion. It is, um, it's stories that make you ponder and we get your thoughts. 877-399-9898. Text in your uh, opinions, thoughts, what occurs to you with stories like, are you okay with? Upsell. Like a little upsell. You go in, you're like, hey, I want to get my quarter pounder with cheese. Would you like a hot apple pie with that? Are you okay with the upsell? Demi Knight? Mm, I hate upsells. Yeah. Like if I wanted it, I would have asked for it, you know? What if you missed something though? Well, then I won't know I've missed it. I guess so. Yeah. Fair. Okay. Uh, I don't mind an upsell. I just, I, I, I struggle when I say no and they keep trying to upsell. Are you sure? Mm. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm. Very sure, actually. I also hate the downsells, like the low ballers. When you're trying to sell something, I was selling an item on uh, Kijiji, or excuse me, on Facebook Marketplace. It's an $80 item. It's brand new in the box. I listed it at $60. Realistically, I'm thinking I'll try to get 50 bucks for it, right? Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. It's brand new in the box, not old. Very first message. Will you take 30? Oh, I hate it. I hate so that. then I respond, I don't like someone's going to, they're trying to get a deal, whatever. I just don't like it when people say, well, I'm working on a budget. Well, so am mm. I. That's why I'm selling my stuff, man. <laughs> um, the, and then I said, no, thank you. And then they replied back with, what's your lowest price then? To which I responded with, I'm not interested in doing business with low ballers. Mm -hmm. And then the response was like, did I offend you? No, you didn't offend me. You're just doing business in a way that I'm not interested in doing business. I I don't believe in that. I believe in fair price. There was a set of uh, rims for um, uh, my car in Ottawa that I w went to look at, and I, I was really hoping to spend about $600. This guy had these rims, $700. They were immaculate with perfectly good rubber on it in Gatineau. Mm -hmm. And I went there, and I was with my buddy Neil. And Neil is like a, a – he likes the hustle of business. Like he loves to do all the stuff. 
And I said to him, I said, in good conscience, I can't try to talk him down. I can't. It's a steal. <laughs> He's yeah. like, I agree. I wouldn't talk him down. Like, you don't always have to have a deal. So you don't always have to add an auto add on. You don't always have to get a deal. I agree. Okay. Well, McDonald's is expanding their upsell, if you will, you know, from moving from unhealthy fried apple pies to maybe some healthy stuff. Corn, in fact. How would you like a side of corn with your McDonald's? For me, I really like corn. What do you like about corn? It's corn. Now that's the corn kid. Uh, you might remember that kid. I like corn. And then someone turned it into a song. Now that's not really what we're here for. That was just a good opportunity to play that pretty little piece of awesomeness. And, um, but McDonald's is adding corn to the menu, a little cup of corn, if you will. Not on our continent though. McDonald's has always tried to revamp their menu every now and then to ensure customers are getting something new and exciting to try. And recently, some McDonald's fans might have been excited about a post that boasted a cup of corn with new menu options, although it's not being served in North America. We don't have a specific answer if it's coming our way, but buttered corn is currently only available in Singapore and Philippines. It was in an ad online, and... Um, and everybody got excited and some people got grossly offended. But I did look at the McDonald's Facebook and it's just like the generic sort of North America one. And it's got the mm -hmm. corn on there now. So they're either oh. playing it up because it's gone viral or oh. or it's maybe going to be a thing. You can get a little side of corn with your burger. Maybe Maybe that's how they'll decide. If they get a bunch of positive reactions, maybe they'll bring yeah. it on in. It might have been a mistake that they just decided to to go. Is there a McDonald's item that's the best thing that they don't um they don't have anymore? Because people like miss the McRib. There's all kinds of things. I don't know what you had over there in uh, in England, McDonald's. You probably had fish and chips or something. I don't. Um, I couldn't even tell you now what's on a McDonald's menu. To be honest, I've <laughs> I've I know they have nuggets. I've had those a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, and some fries. I've had a McFlurry. I think they still mm -hmm. do those. Those are good. Uh, yep. Yeah. All right. Mm. <laughs> um, there's a, there was a text here earlier about saying, how can we take Demi seriously when um, they have the blood pudding and all the things? Anyway, it was really great. I didn't save it. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I, I would say that pizza, McDonald's pizza was a real win. That's I missed that one. That's too bad. I never Don't know if I'm big on the they corn. had a pizza. Yeah, they did. They had McDonald's pizza for a while. At least they did wow. here. Huh? Different everywhere you go, right? Um, doesn't Jollibee do corn? Maybe that's why. Jollibee is unbelievable. You have a chance to go. Have you been to Jollibee? I, I had it one time. Mm -hmm. I had um, the spaghetti stuff that they do. Yeah. But um, I'm worried to say I'm not a fan of things because I feel like everyone hates me when I say I'm not a fan of things. <laughs> you know the but, history of Jollibee, though. You fan. know where they're from? D isn't that from the Philippines? It's from the Philippines, yep. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and the, the folks that love it flock to it. Like, it's full always. Yeah. 
I like there was a like there was a Jolly Bee around the corner for me on McLeod, and it was back like backed up onto McLeod, like mm-hmm. for so long when it first opened. And then I went because like okay, this has got to be pretty good, and it just tasted like they put ketchup packets on pasta and and said here you go. <laughs> John was loving this. <laughs> this is good. Hello, hey, they they the one in Crossiron Mills Mall is full all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense to have corn. It's cheap, good shelf life. People like it and can source it locally. Uh, there's so much corn being grown right now everywhere. It's um, I don't, it's not the word is not durable. Um, but it as a plant, like it can, it grows in almost anything. And uh, everywhere you drive this summer, I've never seen so much uh, corn everywhere. I don't know if that's a thing. Maybe I'm just noticing it for the full time or first time. But anyway, uh, maybe coming to a McDonald's soon to near you would be the um, would be corn. Strawberry Sunday comes up on the list of things that uh, are missed from McDonald's. Mm. Are you okay with going to the doctor? Mm. Hey. Sure. Yeah. yeah. If there's something wrong with me, I guess. I don't just pay mm-hmm. them a visit on my casual days, but. Yeah. I like John. I like to he's say my what's doctor. Up to my doctor. Yeah, he's oh, cool. Yeah. I like to visit. He's happy to see me. He makes me feel special. It's all right. Nice. You know, um, you go in for the physicals and all the things that nobody wants to go in for. And my doctor's cool about it. He's like, he's like, you think you don't look forward to this? Try being me. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> very good point. Let's get this over with. All right. So they have a very good point. Now, it's not always the nicest experience going to the doctor. I know in Alberta here, you can get email alerts from your health system if you sign up for it. So you can actually get results in advance where, you know, you get that dreaded phone call from the doctor where they're like, oh, it's the doctor's office. The doctor like would like to see you next week, but you're going to have to sit and think about this for six days before you can see them. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know you, you didn't could know? do that. In Alberta, no. my AHS. It's different in every province. Yeah. And they email you and that's how your test results. I found out my test results for my MRI for my shoulder and the diagnosis of surgery before I even talked to my doctor. Oh, what? That's amazing for hypochondriacs because I would sit on that and cry if I have to wait to go to a doctor. (laughs) Right. And then you're worried and what's going on and the the receptionist can't tell you who calls you, right? They're like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I can't give out results over the phone. So you're going to have to wait. By the way, the doctor's on vacation. They're back in October. (laughs) <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> um, anyway, um, it's not the nicest thing um, in the world to do. Let's hit the thing. Hey, SpongeBob. Going skiing? I'm sick, Patrick. I'm going to the doctor. What? Oh, you can't go. Why not, Patrick? I know a guy who knows a guy who went to the doctor once, and the doctor's office is a horrible, horrible place. It can't be as horrible as the sun's. Oh, it is SpongeBob. Well, first, they make you sit in the waiting room. Is that the horrible part, Patrick? No, it gets worse. They make you read all magazines. Then the doctor pulls out his stethoscope. No! Yes! It's a device so sinister, so icy cold when it touches your bare flesh, it... <laughs> oh, SpongeBob. Uh, seems like everybody's going off to the doctor this week. 
somebody actually tracked to see when Americans were sick the most. I'd be curious to hear when this happens in Canada. According to leave management software provider Flamingo, more people are off work in the United States due to sickness August 24th than any other day of the year. They found that sunny days of late summer showed more significant drop in attendance than the frosty winter months typically associated with the cold and flu. But they don't have a clear reason why. I think we all have an idea. Our guess, people just hate working on that week. Summer's been going on. And take a wild guess what's happened and who's missing on vacation this week. Ryan O'Donnell. Uh, Flamingo discovered that February has been the sickest month over the last five years with April and December close behind. Stomach bugs were the number one reason employees stayed home sick. I would like to clarify, though, this is without diagnosis. Stomach bugs were the number one reason why employees said they were staying home sick Mm. is probably more Mm. accurate. And I mean, this whole August 24th thing probably has a lot to do with the fact that uh, those same people that um, just can't come back after lunch because I'm not feeling great, boss, after they spent the afternoon on a patio drinking beer. Yeah. Yeah. August 24th sounds like a good day to me to go be outdoors. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, I think uh, the end of August is is a great time. September is also a great time to be outdoors and enjoying the things. I can tell you this, though. I've worked in radio for so long, and you can't just leave halfway through your shift like you can sometimes. That is true. It's, that is it's, true. It would be a little bit weird if it was like, uh, hey, Jono, I'm going to go now. How about you finish the show? Like, that would be, that'd be weird, right? And I know I would never succeed in the real world because there was one of my very first radio jobs I had, like, a split shift where yeah. m- me and this other person rotated like it's one of those like three, four, four, three things. So we rotated and one day of the week we had an office day. And on that office day, we had to get miscellaneous office tasks done early in my career. Every single office day that I had that I didn't have to be in a studio, I was probably gone two hours after I got there. And we were probably in a bar with the morning shows, uh, drinking schooners of beer at a Boston pizza. So if I had to work like that in real life, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have made it very far so mm-hmm. <laughs> just being honest all those sick days you would have taken i just i was busy i had lots to do running mm-hmm. errands i mm-hmm. i was um, all those stomach flus yeah stomach flu that treated with beer <gasps> that's what mm. they should do someone should come out i mean they can market anything in today's world someone should come out with a stomach flu beer that just makes your tummy feel better oh right yeah oh there's yeah. an idea we'll see that on shelf there soon it is uh-huh. Uh, 877-399-9898. Uh, so many messages here. I just want to double check and make sure that I've got um, uh, da, 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 some good news. Uh, I got some good news. I got some good news coming up for you next. Let's do one more. Are you okay with? I like, I like sayings. I like, I like, you know. I like when, you know, something really sticks that we just remember. That's a good one. Are you okay with checking out early or checking out late? Let's start this. Are you okay with this very uh, important line from the Eagles? You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. 
love it. All right. So uh, you can never leave without paying the bill that is for wanting to leave late. Are you okay with checking out of a hotel? Early check-in, late check-out requests are now being met in some hotels with mandatory charges. Remember how you used to just sort of sweet talk the person at the front? You'd be like, uh, hi there. Uh, yes, can I help you? I just wanted to let you know that this is a beautiful hotel. Like you guys have done an amazing job here. Uh, can you recommend a place for it to go here? Oh, yeah, just go down there. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Hey, tomorrow, is it possible to leave at 3 instead of 11? Because <laughs> I'm going to sleep all day. <laughs> oh, I think that's great. No problem. Let me put you down for a late checkout, right? Well, mm-hmm. the Wall Street Journal is reporting that the Hyatt Place Boston Seaport is now charging guests $50 for staying past 1 p.m., with fees increasing up to $100 for later times. San Francisco's Hotel Nico, part of the Nico International Hotel chain, charges $50 for check-ins before 1 p.m. if you want to get in early. Vice President General Manager Anna Marie Prasuti told the Wall Street Journal it was the price of convenience. Terrence O'Donnell, GM of the Cromwell in Vegas, owned and operated by Caesars Entertainment, told the Wall Street Journal that fees help manage the 188-room hotel's occupancy. According to Data First Statistics, Statista, the average daily rate for hotels in the U.S. jumped from $125 in 2021 to $148 in 2022. Now, this could be an inflation thing. Uh, They're trying to cover costs without raising the hotel rates. It's like a hidden fee, right? Mm-hmm. And efficiency mm-hmm. in a hotel is a big deal. I don't have a problem with them, you know, um, if it's really clear for early or late checkouts to charge you. You know, cleaning people can't do the floor the same way. It's not efficient. There's all kinds of things there. But if the room is done, the room is done. And if you ask, yeah. hey, we're going to arrive early. Is it possible to get into a room? Yeah, your room. There's no one staying in your room tonight. You can come in at, how about you come in at one or two? I don't, th- I think that's pretty scammy. I do too. I think it's a little bit of a money grab because a lot of the time, like three is a late check-in for people when they arrive. You know, a lot of people arrive places in the morning. That's a long time to wait around until you can get into a hotel room. And in some places when you're on vacation, your flight's not for four or five hours and you just want a place to keep your stuff and have a shower. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that if, I don't know, there's got to be a better way around it than just assuming. But in some cases, I get it. They probably should charge because people will take full advantage uh, if they don't. Yeah. Good news on Good News Tuesday. I have no trips planned to go anywhere where I can even afford a hotel. So we're going to be fine for now. No late checkouts. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.